Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop takes a deep dive into theology of the body, specifically how it relates to original man, Adam and Eve, and what's at the root of the human experience. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. It's always a pleasure to be enlightened by your wisdom. Thank you, Kyle. What would you like to talk about today? Well, you had mentioned that you had done a talk about Adam and Eve and its relationship to the theology of the body, which we've talked about Adam and Eve a lot in the past. You know, if this yeah. is a historical thing, if this is more of a myth to tell a ethical truth, maybe we can put links to those episodes in the show notes. Always an interesting topic. But this is a little bit different twist. This is kind of taking on that, what are we to learn from this story and and from the lens of theology of the body? I, I yeah. think it'd be fascinating to hear. Your yeah, take love to talk about this. I first was introduced to this when I began my theology studies in Rome. I arrived in Rome. I had never been on a plane before. I had just finished college huh. and um, never been out of the United States and I flew to Rome on September 1st, 1979, arrived on September 2nd, 1979. Huh. That Wednesday was my first time seeing Pope John Paul II at the Wednesday audience. Mm-hmm. It was September 5th, 1979. Didn't waste any time. Let's Didn't waste an any time. Yeah. We only I only lived ten minute walk from the Vatican. That's where the North American College is. Believe it or not, that was his first of one hundred and twenty nine talks on the theology of the body. Really? So I was there for the first talk, and actually, at his Wednesday audiences from September fifth, nineteen seventy nine, to November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty four. He gave these Wednesday audience talks. It wasn't called Theology of the Body then, mm-hmm. by the way. It was just on marriage and sexuality and everything. But so really when the four years that I was in Rome from 79 to 83, because I was ordained a priest in 83, all his, almost all his Wednesday audience talks were on Theology of the Body because they didn't end until 84. I did go back to Rome in 85 for three more years of studies. He had already completed Theology of the Body talks. But but I remember I didn't go to all of them, obviously. I had to go to school. I had to go uh-huh. to the university. But I got to a number of them when we didn't have class on a particular Wednesday. And it was very deep. I remember, of course, when I first got there, I was still learning Italian. So it, I didn't really understand a whole lot at the beginning of what he was talking about because it's hard to understand it in English, let alone in Italian, uh-huh. because it's so deep philosophically, theologically. So it was only later that I really delved into it more and got began to understand it. John Paul himself said that these catechesis that he was giving could be called human love in the divine plan. Human love in the divine plan. We usually just call it theology of the body. But I think just so people understand what we mean, it's really human love in the divine plan. St. John Paul also spoke of his talks as the redemption of the body and the sacramentality of marriage. It's another way of looking at it. But there were basically six cycles of these 129 talks. And 
I thought today we could talk about the first cycle, which is original man. Okay. But then after he talked about original man, the second cycle is about historical man, which is our state as after the fall, uh-huh. okay, our sinful state. And then, of course, being redeemed by Christ is also part of historical man. Okay. The third cycle is eschatological man, which is the life after death, the life of heaven. And then the fourth cycle, it's all about celibacy for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So very, very rich teaching on celibacy. The fifth cycle is the sacramentality of marriage. And then the sixth cycle is love and fruitfulness. So the transmission of life, he gets mm-hmm. into issues like contraception, etc. Okay. So today we'll just kind of talk a little bit about um, original man. So there were 23 talks that he gave that are part of this cycle. So I'm going to try to summarize 23 talks of John Paul. And how many of those were you at, do you think? I don't. I didn't keep track. I bet I was at five or six. Okay. I would guess. And he was speaking in Italian? Italian, yeah. And they, four or five, whatever you were there, yeah. were you able to understand what he was saying? No, no, because okay. I had one month of Italian okay. at that point that was not that great. So, uh-huh. yeah, that first year that I was in Rome was was a little challenging because all my classes were also taught in Italian. Uh-huh. So I was I learned a lot but of Italian that year, but that summer I worked in the heel of the boot of Italy, and then I became fluent because I, all I was with was Italians and I was immersed so much in it. So okay. it really took me a good year to become fluent in Italian. So yeah, I was catching bits and pieces when I was listening. To yeah. <laughs> now I could read like the English translations afterwards, which I know I did. It's interesting that how he began these talks was especially this first cycle on original man because this is theology, but he's also a lot of philosophy. But with theology, he he took a passage of scripture and this is, and it was the scrap, it's from Matthew's gospel, the dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees about divorce. Hmm. So this passage, and, and everyone knows this, the Pharisees came up to Jesus and asked him if it was lawful to divorce one's wife mm-hmm. for any reason. And Jesus's response was, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And then they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and put her away. Jesus said to them, for your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Mm-hmm. So what is Jesus doing here? And, and what is, I mean, I'm sorry, what is John Paul doing here? He's saying, okay, at the beginning it was not so. Okay, at the beginning. So this is what this first cycle is about the beginning before the fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but I like that he starts with the new Testament. It's almost like starting yes. the movie in the middle and then you have a flashback. Right. Right. Yeah. So he does this, this amazing reflection 
on man before the fall. So he looks at that story of Adam and Eve. Basically, he's looking at the original human experience. He's not taking a literalist view of the creation account in the book of Genesis. He doesn't see it as a scientific account of the emergence of human beings. What he's doing is looking at, okay, what's original human experience? And this is for all of us. But this is part of what we would call the prehistory of, um, and so the most important thing, like what's at the root of every human experience, the way God created us, the foundational elements to understand who we are as human beings. So when you look at Adam, the most profound experience in the Garden of Eden was that of original solitude. So you look at original man, the first thing with Adam is original solitude. Remember, Adam named all the animals that God had created, and as the animals passed before him, he did this, but he was utterly alone. He had this intense solitude because he alone among all these creatures was a person. The animals didn't have self-awareness. The animals didn't have self-determination. They didn't love. Hmm. Only man had that capacity. Well, God recognized Adam's solitude, and he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So this original solitude. But next comes original unity. Hmm. So how did God relieve Adam's solitude. He created Eve. And Adam recognized in her the one he had been searching for, but was unable to find among all the animals, the other creatures. So when God created Eve, what did Adam say? He said, and it was really an exclamation, this at last is bone of my bone, bones, and flesh of my flesh. So that original solitude was transformed into what John Paul calls original unity, original unity between a man and a woman when the two become one flesh. Mm -hmm. Now, they're still, in a sense, in solitude in the midst of all the other creatures, but now they have each other. And they're called to reflect the image of God by giving themselves to each other in love. And this is a really great contribution to theology that John Paul makes. This idea of forming a communion of persons, in Latin, the communio personarum, a communion of persons that is an image of God, who is a communion of three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the communion of the Blessed Trinity, this is a really unique contribution to theology because in the past, when we would think about how are we in the, made in the image and likeness of God, it's because we have intellect, we have free will. And that's very true. But this is something else. John Paul goes beyond that and says, what's deepest within us as created in God's image is this call to communion. 
So it's through the communion of persons that we are the image of God. And this is deep, deep within us because we're made for others. We're not made to be alone, individual solitude. Mm -hmm. It's only when we live in communion with others, especially our communion with God, that we're fulfilled as human beings. Mm -hmm. And this idea of a relationship of mutual gift, and this fulfills our original solitude. I find this so beautiful to contemplate. And then when you continue looking at that story of Genesis, besides original solitude and original unity, you also read about original nakedness. Hmm. Original nakedness. Remember, in the account, after the account of Eve's creation, and then Adam receiving Eve, we have this sentence in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So this is another essential aspect of humanity's original state, our primordial state, original nakedness. And John Paul says this is a really important sentence. This isn't something like accidental, that if we really want to understand the human person, this is key. Adam and Eve were naked. They saw each other as persons, their full bodily reality, male and female, with the vision of the Creator. Okay? Of course, God... You know, in creating, he looked at everything and it was very good. It says in the book of Genesis, God saw that all was good, very good. So they look at each other and they see the goodness. John Paul speaks of this as they gaze at each other or know each other with the peace of the interior gaze. Hmm. The peace of the interior gaze. So... This is like the intimacy of persons. And they were able to perceive this because they had pure hearts at this point. They had this original innocence before the fall. They were naked without shame. So delving into this, John Paul explains how the human body has a nuptial meaning. Nuptial, like nuptial means referring to a wedding, marriage. Uh -huh. At its deepest level, the human body reveals divine mysteries. So what is the human body revealing about God, about the life of God? Nothing less than man and woman's call to participate in the life of God the Trinitarian life. The body, according to John Paul, and I'll just quote this from one of those talks, he said, the body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden since time immemorial in God and thus be a sign of it. End quote. 
So Adam and Eve are revealing to each other the mystery of God's love as a call to live in a communion of persons, Mm -hmm. to participate in the divine life. Now, the high point, the culmination of the body revealing God is God becoming flesh. God made himself visible, the incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's a famous sentence from John Paul where he says, through the fact that the word of God became flesh, the body entered theology through the main door. Hmm. So Can you say that again? Yeah. Through the fact that the word of God became flesh, the body entered theology through the main door. Interesting. Yeah. So we have the human body making visible God's invisible reality. And it's also revealing man because it reveals what's unique to man among all the other creatures, different from the animals. Man is a personal subject. Man is a personal subject. The animals are not. So Eve, when she's created, her body reveals her to Adam as a personal subject, a conscious subject, just like him, a person to be loved, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. So the body expresses the person, and the body reveals man and woman as a gift for each other. This is the essential core of being a person, the call to give oneself in love to another person and to receive his or her gift of self. So this is a very important notion in the theology of the body. It's called the law of the gift that's inscribed in our very nature. This nuptial meaning of the body. So with its sex, masculine and feminine, there's this nuptial attitude, the capacity of expressing love, being a gift. This is what fulfills our existence. So we have Adam and Eve at the beginning, okay, naked without shame, because they saw with the purity of original innocence the nuptial meaning of the body. They perceived in the nakedness of each other's body not an object to be used for their own benefit, for their own selfish gratification, but a person to be loved. Mm -hmm. That's the original vision. This is all before sin, the nuptial meaning of the body. Now, the most fundamental condition in order to be able to give ourselves in love is freedom. This also distinguishes us from other creatures. The fact that we are free elevates us to the dignity of being subjects. No human person is is simply an object of nature, like an individual of a species, like a plant or an animal. We are free, conscious subjects that are aware of ourselves and we possess ourselves in order to be able to give ourselves away. So the deeper our inner freedom, the greater is our capacity to give ourselves to another for their own sake, as another subject like us, another person. But then when passions take over, an 
and this happens after original sin, we can treat others as objects for our own gratification. So freedom actually is corrupted then, and we become enslaved to our passions. But before sin, Adam and Eve possessed perfect freedom. They didn't see each other as objects. They saw each other as as subjects, okay? They saw each other not as objects for each other's gratification, but as the one whom they could love and see as, you know, as Adam did, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So nakedness only became a source of shame after sin when a woman became an object for mm-hmm. the man and vice versa. They were not ashamed because they didn't see each other as objects. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they had that purity of heart, that interior innocence. They were both aware of the gift, this law of the gift, that their bodies had this nuptial meaning of self-gift. And they discovered in their bodies, Adam and Eve, the capacity not only to give themselves as a gift to each other, but that their self-giving love would be fulfilled in the conjugal union when they became one flesh. Hmm. So the marital act, by its very nature, points to the fact of procreation. That's another essential dimension of the nuptial meaning of the body, procreation. So these are the two aspects of marital union, conjugal union, the giving of oneself to the other, the exchange of mutual gift, recognizing the other as a person, not as an object to be used, but as a subject. And then this becomes fruitful in procreation fatherhood and motherhood. So the father and the mother recognize each other and themselves in the new offspring that is born in the world as the fruit of the act of their self-giving love. So there's a procreative meaning of the body. They come to realize that God plays a role in their fatherhood and motherhood he enables them to have a child, to have a son or daughter, a new human life. So the human body is much more than an object of nature possessed by us. It expresses who we are as persons, that we can can reflect the image of God himself. This is what's deepest in our own being, the call to give ourselves to others in love, and this gift of self is fruitful. And we cooperate with God's creative act when a new human being is born into the world, a child. So in the beginning, before sin, this is the original state. And the nuptial meaning of the body was revealed in all its fullness. So I think this is very beautiful. A lot of things to think about. Again, I just summarized 29 talks <laughs> but do you have any, uh, I mean, if you have any thoughts on this, as I said, the next part, cycle two, is on historical man, which talks about, okay, how did things change as a result of sin? That's original man. And I mean, this is in line continuity with tradition, but there's many new insights 
And John Paul II was a philosopher. Mm-hmm. And I think this is theology and philosophy, both, in his, his catechesis. And there's so much there. People can read the original. It's pretty dense. But there's a lot of books that have been written about the theology of the body. And what I've summarized is just cycle one of the six cycles. Yeah. Well, why don't we take a break now, and then I'll have some follow-up questions about this. If you have any questions about this or any other topic, you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll continue to talk about Adam and Eve, Theology of the Body, and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Been talking about theology of the body, just the first of six cycles of theology of the body from St. Pope John Paul II. And this is just being kind of the beginning and going back to the beginning of Adam and Eve and the original fall. I've heard Christopher West talk about this a bunch. He's got a whole series and books. You mentioned different people that have kind of broken this down. I think he's maybe one of the, the more popular ones. You mentioned that one of the cycles talks about celibacy, and then there's one that's specifically for marriage. A lot of this whole intro stuff seems to be very marriage-oriented. What about people before marriage? What are, what are some takeaways from this for, say, adolescents? Or, or is it more geared towards adults that have found their vocation in marriage or priesthood? I think it's, I mean, we have theology of the body that we teach in grade schools at mm-hmm. that level. Yeah. Because in a sense, I mean, this is for all ages, but it has to be brought to that level. We do require theology of the body as part of preparation for confirmation for mm-hmm. adolescents, and they really get into this. And we also have it in our high school theology courses. And because it's talking about really the nature of the human person and the you know, the meaning of our body, but also the purpose of our existence. I mean, we're all called to reflect. If being in a communion of persons is how we are created in the image and likeness of God, I think that's important for adolescents also and children to realize according to their level. I also think it's important to understand when we look at this original man, this original innocence, that this wasn't destroyed by original sin. In other words, we're not entirely cut off from our origins. Christ is calling us back to the beginning. Like when he said to the Pharisees, in the beginning it was not so regarding Mm -hmm. divorce. We have this inheritance of sin, but we also have Christ's redemption, his redeeming us. And it's not like original sin destroyed everything about our original innocence. So I think this is important for everyone, including our adolescents. I think it really helps our adolescents, our teenagers and young adults to understand the meaning of sex, 
mm-hmm. uh, the importance of the teachings of the church and why. Right. Why do we have these teachings? So, yeah, I think it's very enriching. I find in going into our high schools, some of them really getting into this mm-hmm. because it's so different from what you learn in the world. Yeah. I mean, even all this stuff with gender ideology is so contrary to what we're talking about here mm-hmm. because gender ideology denies that masculinity and femininity are integral to who we are right. as persons. Yet we can't decide for ourselves whether we're going to be male or female. So I don't know, maybe did John Paul see this on the horizon? I wonder. Well, that's what I was wondering. You said this didn't come out until 1979. And while it doesn't contradict any church teaching, it seems to open up a lot of clarification for church teaching. Was this a a prophecy? How would you explain what Pope John Paul II was experiencing and sharing? Well, he had already been thinking about this a lot. He had written a book called Love and Responsibility. Mm Mm-hmm. So he, as a theologian, this was really important, especially after Humane Vitae. Right. When Pope Paul VI issued the encyclical Humane Vitae, there was a lot of rebellion against it because he continued to teach the church's prohibition against artificial contraception. Mm-hmm. So this was really a big debate happening in the late 60s and the 70s. And John Paul, of course, at that time was was young and he was doing a lot of ministry with young couples and all that. So they were talking about these questions. Mm -hmm. So being such a great mind, so brilliant, he really delved into it. And so when he gave these catechesis on the theology of the body, this was kind of the result of many years of his reflecting on this. And I think it was prophetic because Pope Paul VI, St. Paul VI, when he issued the encyclical Humanae Vitae, it's relatively... It's not a long document. Mm -hmm. He gets to the key points. But I think even in the encyclical himself, he invites theologians and that to go deeper and to reflect, give theological reflection on this. And that's what John Paul did. So I think it's all in God's providence. Yeah. Do you think the timing is significant with it being, do you think the world would have been ready for this in the 1800s or... Does this seem like God was waiting for a specific moment to reveal this to us? I don't know. I mean, in some ways, I think, you know, the what happened in 1968 with Humane Vitae, already the culture had turned, mm-hmm. especially with the invention of the pill. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of sexuality and the meaning of sexuality was already being challenged in our culture and being rejected in many quarters. I'd say in the decades even preceding Humanae Vitae and preceding the Second Vatican Council, because you look at groups like the Anglican Church, I don't remember when they started saying contraception was okay. I think it was back in like the 1920s. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but it was quite a while. And so there was already a turn away from traditional Christian teaching. And a lot of other denominations were giving in not only contraception, but also abortion. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there was, and of course, divorce and remarriage became a big problem, the prevalence of divorce in our society. So we already had, you know, kind of the breakdown of the family beginning. So in the 1960s and then in the 70s, this was really the church's response 
And it wasn't popular with a lot of people, as it's not popular today. Now, I could never have imagined that this would go so far as to deny the nature of the human person as man and woman. Right. But that's how far we've gone. Well, and then same-sex marriage even preceded this. I would never have imagined that being a possibility. But I think John Paul kind of, you know, was prophetic. I think he, he saw where all this would naturally lead. Right. And, you know, where we are today, and it could even get worse. So really getting back to fundamental Christian doctrine about the human person, what we call Christian anthropology. I've said many times, I think every Catholic college should have a required course on Christian anthropology hmm. because I think this is the big challenge of our age. And many young people are getting taken in by these false ideas and reaching their most radical form in gender ideology. You mentioned different resources. First of all, the Theology of the Body book itself, like you said, is dense, but it's available for purchase. Anything particular jump out to you as well, other resources? I would agree with, that, with you that Christopher West, the way he writes, it's so understandable. But there are others who are also excellent. There's a lot of books out there. There's some that are more theological that might not be as easy to read. Michael Waldstein is a very good theologian. David Schindler there are a number of things out there, but I think for the average person, Christopher West is probably the most accessible. Okay. And All the right. Theology of the Body Institute in Philadelphia, right. people can look that up on online, and there's a lot of good materials there. All right, very good. So I guess we'll see if you want to continue with this and do the other cycles, or if we move on to something else, maybe come back to it later. But yeah, this is a very good introduction. So thank you, Bishop. Appreciate You're welcome. It. Probably historical man and, and eschatological man would be good for future episodes. Great. I mean, we could do all six, but I don't know. We'll see how the listeners feel. All right. Give us feedback. What would you like to hear about next? Before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Yep. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.